Welcome back to Talking Trade. I'm Sandy Siegel, president of ME Day. And I'm Ian Coxhead in the Department of Ag and Applied Economics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And today we're really uh, happy and indeed proud to have with us uh, Dr. Joe Glauber. Uh, Joe had a 30-year career at U.S. Department of Agriculture, including seven years as USDA chief economist. Uh, prior to that, he also served as the chief agricultural negotiator in the Doha trade round uh, for the, US of the Office of the U.S. Uh, trade representative. He's now a senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute and a visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. And I cannot resist some parochial tub thumping here. Joe is a PhD in Ag Econ from my department at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So Joe, we're really proud and, uh, and uh, happy to welcome you back for this virtual visit to Wisconsin. Yeah, no, thanks very much, Ian. We have a lot to talk about today, <clears throat> especially uh, with recent uh, changes in administration uh, and impending changes in US ag and trade policy as well. But let's start with a backward glance. Uh, if we look at China's 2020 imports of US agricultural products under the uh, so-called phase one trade deal hammered out by the Trump administration, well, the uh, 2020 numbers were very disappointing. US uh, exports to China fell very far short of the agreed goals. But 2021 has started out much more strongly. Uh, big surge in US uh, ag exports to China, probably led by corn. Uh, what do you think is going on there? And what does it mean for US producers and consumers? Well, it's, you know, you, it's been a wild, wild few years. I mean, you, you think back to the trade war. I mean, China, up until 2018, you know, it was one of our top markets. And then with the trade war, we saw our, our exports to China fall from around um, $20 billion to around $9 billion or so in, in 2018. 13 or 20, uh, 19 wasn't much better. Uh, but with the phase one agreement, particularly in the second half of 2020, you did see a lot of, of trade going to China. Now, I will argue that a lot of that was because of the rebound in uh, pork production and other things in China where they were in need of protein uh, meals. So importing a lot of soybeans and also need of, of, of uh, feed grains. So we saw a lot of corn. Also, remember, at the end of 2020, they had a trade dispute. They've had a trade dispute with Australia, so they're not importing a lot of barley from Australia. So if you look at total, um, you know, feed grain exports to uh, including distiller dry grains, if you look in 2020, that's around 2.4 billion. Great numbers. So 2020 was a great recovery. I might add, we've exported almost 4 billion back in 2015, if you look at the total numbers for total feed grains and, and distilled dry grains. But uh, again, a, a good recovery. 2021, still behind pace of, a, of these phase one targets. But you got to remember, these are those were sort of drawn out of the air. I think the, the main thing is these are China's back being our number one export destination. And that's an important thing for U.S. farmers. Yeah, that's right. Those numbers were pretty unrealistic in the first place. So maybe uh, not a great benchmark, right? The, right. Uh, so can I ask, Joe, um, you know, the new trade rep, Catherine Tai, has made it clear that her analysis of a phase one will be the first step in deciding whether or not she offers relief on, you know, some of the prohibitive duties um, on the on the China tariffs. So, 
based on, on, you know, the information you just shared as to why we saw success and how much success do you, do you think there's enough that will warrant um, some relief on the China tariffs that, you know, are, are impacting us consumers and, and so many importers? Yeah, I think two things there. One is I think the, um, again, these numbers, uh, what, what's driving these exports to China is the fact that China needs these materials. What I don't like about the current situation is, you know, before we had a, you know, three, four percent tariff on on soybeans. Um, that's a low tariff that commercials get in when they need Chinese importers need uh, supplies. They go and purchase it, pay the tariff and bring it into the country. When you have 25 percent additional tariffs on like they're currently, they now have to go to the Chinese government and get an exemption to do that. And it just creates all sorts of additional cost, transaction costs. So I'd like to see that, if all possible, we get away from those, those, those things and get back to uh, commercial trade flowing. But I'll say this, I think that Catherine ties in a tough spot here. You have all these tariffs were put on. Why? Not because of agriculture. Agriculture, actually, we have disputes, but they've pretty much got re- a lot of those get resolved. We have the phase one agreement that does have a lot of good things in it as far as these, these bilateral disputes with China. But the main issue has been on intellectual property, business practices, other things outside of agriculture. And I think her dilemma is, how do you take off tariffs without showing some progress there? So I think that's going to be a very careful uh, game that's being played. Thankfully, in the meantime, China needs materials. So they're going to do everything they can to grant those exemptions, allow that trade to come in. Um, but I think there's no question from an economist perspective, at least, I'd like to see us get away from sort of managed trade where we set these trade levels and other things and get back to letting the commercials decide when to import. Uh, great. The, uh, uh, the issue with uh, China trade, of course, goes beyond policy and goes to uh, uh, some pretty significant uh, supply chain bottlenecks as well these days. We've got a lot of uh, uh, manufacturers and traders complaining about uh, inability to source goods, inability to uh, uh, ship goods, and accompanying that, uh, big, some big rises in input prices, iron and steel leading them, and copper, I guess, as well. So uh, what do you think the implications of that are going to be medium term for the uh, Midwest and U.S. economies? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you, you got a couple things going on. You do have all these, these uh, uh, tariffs on metals, which are, you know, le- holdovers from the Trump administration. You also have all these disruptions in the, the global value chain caused by COVID. And I think that, that we're certainly seeing this with bottlenecks in terms of shortages of, of container ships, um, big supply chain uh, uh, bottlenecks that have, increase and, and which are going to continue until we get back into sort of the normal flows and get economies back running um, that I think, you know, that, that hopefully we'll see this get resolved over the next several months. But in the near term, this has been clearly disrupting things. And, and even down to, I mean, you look at how much paper is being uh, 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 consumed right now in terms of packaging and other sorts of things at the consumer level. You know, some of this has shown up in, in food prices, obviously, we're, we're uh, uh, COVID, uh, because of the supply, uh, supply chain disruptions, saw, uh, you know, some of the, the highest levels of food price inflation that we've seen in a while. I mean, remember, food f- price inflation for a, for a high food price inflation is four to five percent rather than one to two percent. 
Uh, nothing like what we saw in the 70s when we were talking 10 to 15 percent. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of things in, involved with food prices. I mean, farm value is a small part of it. It's only about 15 percent of the retail dollar. Uh, but things like energy prices are important. And so when you see price spikes uh, in energy uh, markets, you got to get concerned over if, it, if they continue over a long time. So you've been doing this a while and, and been active and, you know, um, with the, the trade reps office and so forth and, and seen many administrations, I, I presume, in your career. Yeah. I, you know, I'm in the trenches. Supply chain has never been so upside down. And, you know, there's recent, you know, concern in the news of our, our rate of inflation and so forth. I'm seeing freight pricing two and three times what it was a year ago. Um, in addition to the additional tariffs, you know, on, on steel, aluminum, um, as, as well as China and so forth. So, you know, what, how, what's the best advice and strategies, you know, for the trade rep in, in looking at a holistic view and, and trying to combat the, you know, inflationary pricing as well as, um, again, not giving in too much to some of these issues. Yeah. It, it, what, what I would say is, uh, that a couple of things. I mean, you understand there's a lot of issues in, on trade. It's not just China. There, we still have these uh, steel and aluminum tariffs that were applied on a number of countries uh, for national security reasons, which I think, you know, at least um, uh, a lot of people, including myself, have some doubts about uh, whether or not that was really a valid reason to be imposing all these tariffs. Uh, I think I would start working with our partners to try to get rid of those tariffs to, to scale that down. Uh, and that, that includes uh, partners like the EU and Canada and others. And, and some of those we have already, obviously, but, but that's the start. Um, uh, you know, the, the other big issues are just the, you know, all the disruptions caused by the pandemic. And I'm not sure there's much there the, um, the, the trade rep can do except for, you know, trying to, uh, work with other WTO members to try to avoid the sort of problems that that countries oftentimes create by putting on things like export restrictions or other sorts of di disruptions to trade. So I think there, um, and, and I think the good news is, is that the, this administration looks like it's going to be willing to work more with multilateral organizations like the WTO, which in my view is, 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 is really important here. And Joe, really quickly, as we're running out of time, a new leadership at the WTO, uh, any evidence that that will lead to changes in policy or practice from that end? Well, I think, you know, the new director general, uh, Ngozi, is, is someone who really wants to, uh, uh, you know, doesn't want to take no for an answer. She's working very hard to get a, an agreement right now on fishery subsidies. Um, the WTO, having spent a lot of time there myself, it's a difficult place to try to get consensus, and that it's a place that rules by consensus, so you need everyone aboard. Um, but we'll see. There is a ministerial coming up uh, where, where all the countries will get together and talk about a lot of trade issues, including agriculture, uh, later this year, or towards the end of this year. So we'll get to see. She's just getting her feet set. I mean, the big thing right now to me and uh, is uh, solving this problem with the appellate body in dispute settlement because the U.S. has gained, and U.S. agriculture in particular, we've won almost every case we've taken to the WTO. These are really important things to, uh, to get that institution back functioning. Uh, so hopefully that 
Catherine Tai and uh, the new DG will be able to uh, work with other members to get, get an agreement there. Perfect. I'm so glad that we've, uh, we've only scratched the surface of all the possible topics we could talk about and feel like we've got a long way to go yet, but we're out of time. Uh, so, uh, Sandy, do you want to say thanks? Oh, it's a, a pleasure. Uh, really an honor to talk to you, Joe. And, and I hope your optimistic point of view is, um, you know, it is correct. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, I do too. <laughs> no, it's great talking to you guys. Yeah, once again, thanks very much, thanks Joe. And we'll see you again soon. Yeah. This has been Talking Trade, and we'll see you in the next episode.